Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Season 3, Episode 8 of the Average 2 League Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Lowe, and today is a solo episode. So just myself with you for the uh, next short period of time. So today's episode is called Nutritionist Be Nutritioning. So the reason being is that at the moment, uh, I've got a few uh, goals and objectives for this year to hit. And on social media, Insta stories, etc., posting a fair bit of my training and uh, everything else in between. So a lot of people asking, what are you up to? What are you doing? Uh, why are you doing it? And so on. So I thought I'd just spend the next um, little bit of time just going through pretty much my mission, my current objectives, my goals, uh, my training, my nutrition, the periodization of everything, um, my sort of nutrition on the negotiables, the supplement side of things. Um, basically just give you a good understanding and insight and perhaps even a little bit of inspiration of um, how you can perhaps take some of this and put it into your own uh, nutrition and training going forward. Uh, now, I'm, I'm clearly not an elite level athlete, uh, but I do work with uh, a lot of sub-elite and elite athletes who are looking to you know, maximize their life and uh, sport performance through nutrition. So my main mission really is to be able to lead by example and you know i ultimately have to practice what i preach um i think there's a lot of debate amongst coaches like do you have to sort of walk the walk and talk the talk and in my opinion like yes um like my old business mentor phil graham used to say um you know you can't coach optimally from a place you haven't been authentically so with this, it really just allows me to have greater empathy and understanding with clients because I'll know what they are going through. Like that, I really feel like, especially in like the sub elite and elite level, like the, the details really matter. And sometimes just reading some research, it doesn't show you how you actually will react uh, to certain day to day things, I additional fatigue, additional food focus and and so on so by me just going through the process myself i can relate better and therefore i can coach better so not only can i give what the the sign says what my experience is uh work with other athletes from a wide variety of sports but my own personal experience as well and this just gives me a high level a uh, higher level or ability a greater ability to to coach uh and also get better results now when I talk about leading by example, like I'm not ever really going to be able to uh, be able to compete with the athletes I work with and coach because the amount of uh, like deliberate practice they've had uh, over the course of, well, for, I guess from early years, really teenage youth, uh, go all the way through to like the adult kind of professional careers. Now um, they've put a lot of, they've had a lot of skin in the game to put a lot of reps in uh, and I'm not going to be able to sort of catch up or do any of that. But what I can do is make sure that I implement as hard as possible to make sure my standards are as high as possible. And hopefully then um, lead by example through what I do on a daily basis and ultimately doing what I said I was going to do. So that is essentially my mission um so what what are my current objectives so obviously i want to be doing 
uh, more sports-specific stuff. I want to uh, live and act like an athlete, although uh, that is definitely questionable if you look at my performance. Um, but but what, what am I doing then? So there's three main things I'm working towards uh, this year, largely surrounding um, bike fitness and uh, bike events and a body composition goal as well. So two kind of quite uh, closely. Uh, one is the is a basically a 20, 220 mile mountain bike route uh, called the Badger Divide, which is riding over the course of a few days uh, with two good pals, both both doctors, um, going from Inverness uh, down to Glasgow. Um, so the world record, I believe, it's like nineteen hours. Uh, we're not really going to sort of be competing towards that, but we're looking to do it over the course of a few days and obviously taking all the kit with us, all the food, all the fluids, uh, all the bike uh, gear as well. So that'd be a pretty big uh, challenge, what 100%. And then a week and a bit later, I'm over in Dubai. Uh, I do some additional consultancy work. Uh, with uh, Kirk Miller and his program called Built to Last. And he's having an event over there. And as part of that event, we're just going to do a little bit of a photo shoot, which would be uh, really, really cool. And uh, yeah, ultimately, I'm making sure that body composition is in a very good position for that. Um, and then lastly, in September, uh, on the mountain bike again in Madeira, uh, doing the Trans Madeira, which is a five-day mountain bike enduro event which will be uh, incredibly challenging too. So largely surrounding um, bike fitness and body composition for this year. So in terms of the, the current goal I have, there's, there's three main areas to really take advantage of. Uh, one, improving bike fitness. Two, improving strength and maintenance of muscle mass whilst being able to drop body fat. Um, so a couple of episodes, I had a pro cyclist Rob Britton on and he said, you know, dropping body fat when you have the time is pretty straightforward. Uh, improving fitness and performance is absolutely fine if you have the time. But trying to do both when you have a limited amount of time, this is where things get a little bit difficult. And this is essentially what I'm trying to do now. So I'm trying to improve my bike fitness to basically improve my overall work capacity and repeatability so I can go again and again and again, like, the budget divide route probably going to be doing six to eight hours on the bike of the course of uh three days so i need to make sure that i'm fit enough to do one day and then start the next day um in a strong position obviously going to be carrying some residual fatigue um and probably a very sore ass from sitting on the seat for so long on the saddle for so long but i need to have that repeatability there so bike fitness is absolutely key so at the moment i'm using an app called trainer roads um so which is absolutely great so in terms of identifying where i am from a fitness perspective in terms of my like my fdp um and therefore building a periodized approach uh, for this one event in April and the main event, uh, I guess like my A events, we call it, in September. That being said, with all apps, um, even though they have like cool additions, like you can, they can adapt um, the program based on how you're feeling, your rating after each session, you know, is never going to be as good as a coach, which I think is probably going to be the next step is actually hiring a cycling coach uh, to help me support that. Um, 
Reason being, it does an app does not take into account that um, I'm perhaps doing three extra strength and conditioning sessions per week. Um, I'm running, growing a business and um, really uh, on the road quite a bit down to Wasps and Reading and fatigue surrounding, you know, being awake, getting up early, sitting in the car all the time and all that kind of stuff. So it doesn't account for those kind of things. So I need to have a little bit of autonomy there and tweak things in addition, but it's not going to be as good as, of course, as having a cycling coach who lives and breathes this on a daily basis. Um then, as I mentioned, uh, we're looking at really just improving strength, uh, which is absolutely possible to do in a calorie deficit, especially when you've got your foot on the gas with a calorie deficit, because strength is mostly neuromuscular uh, based, and you can definitely increase neuromuscular strength uh, and kind of the top end kind of strength when in a calorie deficit. Build a muscle mass based on my training experience, um, which it, I've been in, uh, been lifting weights for quite a long time, even though perhaps uh, the muscle mass does not overly show it. Um, I'm not going to be building muscle uh, in a calorie deficit just to manage my own expectations here. Um, but the goal is fully just muscle mass maintenance during this period. Uh, and I got a my coach, uh, the coach's coach, Joe Parrish, helping me through this as well. And then lastly, um, the goal is to drop body fat because yes, the dropping body fat may help uh, me from a cycling and mountain biking perspective, uh, especially when I'm going against gravity. But to be honest, it, it is probably not going to have a world of difference uh, based on my current level. If I was Chris Froome instead of Chris Lowe uh, and I was really top of the game, you know, maybe those extra few kilos will make a big difference. But based on my level of fitness, um, you know, dropping a few kilos of body fat really isn't going to make me a better mountain bike rider. Uh, that being said, uh, I am dropping body fat for this photo shoot in Dubai. Um, so I don't know if you uh, know of Kirk Miller. I've actually got him on the podcast in the next couple of weeks. Um, he is in incredible shape um, and he's been on men's health covers more time uh, than uh, I even know. Um, and basically why I'm getting him on next week is, or the next couple of weeks is because he is, he's an ex uh, professional footballer and he's been in shape, uh, literally incredible shape uh, for the last well, 20, 25 plus years. Um, and we're just going to go into how he's able to be super, super ultra consistent uh, to maintain those excellent level of standards on a daily basis, whilst having a social life, whilst having a lot of flexibility with foods and all this kind of stuff, which would be really, really, really cool. Because uh, obviously a lot of athletes will have their off-season, pre-season, in-season, off-season, food goes to shit. Pre-season, they tidy things up. In-season, they either maintain or make small improvements. So the whole idea of next week is getting a really good understanding of how to uh, best maintain excellent levels of standards throughout the year uh, so you don't have these kind of big peaks and troughs of body composition. But going back to the main uh, point, got um yeah this photo shoot uh with him and there's no chance in hell that i'm standing next to him uh <laughs> in peak bulky conditions so dropping body fat uh from that perspective so definitely got my foot on the gas uh from the body fat side of things in terms of calorie uh deficit so i'm looking to drop about one percent loss in body mass via body fat per week so it's about 700 grams on average obviously we've got our daily uh fluctuations with body mass based on you know the amount of food I ate uh, the day before 
um, the level of muscle soreness and inflammation I have, uh, the amount of carbohydrates in my diet, uh, and time of eating and all that kind of stuff, hydration, uh, sodium intake. So when we look at, when we take a step back, zoom out and look at the trends over time, uh, this is essentially should add up to about 0.7 kilos on average per week. That is my objective. So it's a decent calorie deficit, but it's not crazy low because I'm mindful of uh, just having very low energy availability and my KPIs, my key performance indicators, uh, heading too far south and ultimately being in the shit zone, which is not going to complement uh, improving bike fitness and improving strength whilst ma maintaining muscle mass. Um, being there before, uh, and I don't particularly want to go there again because it is not uh, the best place to be. So in terms of my KPIs, what am I looking at? What am I monitoring? So one, my physical and mental performance. Two, my recovery. So my daily freshness, that's bringing my step, my daily energy levels, uh, my food focus, so my desire to eat. So whether it's be physical hunger or mental hunger, so that hedonic-based eating, um, mood, libido, uh, and sleep, because all those things typically will go south the bigger the energy deficit you are in. And obviously with that big energy deficit, uh, your immune system is not quite as resilient as usual, so you're more likely to get ill and um, perhaps even more likely to get injured too, uh, especially when you have this that kind of like paradoxical kind of nature of low calories, high output, impaired recovery, and that stress it has uh, on sleep because sleep quality typically will go down too, uh, which is, uh, like I said, a, bit, a little bit paradoxical. When your recovery needs to be as high as possible, uh, your body says, no, we're going to uh, keep you awake and have very fragmented sleep. So ultimately, I just score all these KPIs on a score of one to 10. Uh, one to five, if I drop into that, I'm in the shit zone. This is not where I want to be. If I'm between like five, six, seven in the amber, things aren't uh, terrible, but they're not great. Probably where I'm going to be most of the time in, a, in an energy deficit. And then if I'm above that, eight, nine, 10 in the green, I'm winning. Everything is looking good. So for me, from experience, two things that drop. Um, one is food focused. I will typically get quite hungry. I don't necessarily crave anything because my environment at home is really good to support that. I don't have any of those visual cues in my cupboard, the hyperpalatable foods, high fat, high sugar. That's going to drive me to eat, um, but I will get hungry. Uh, I, I just like eating. Um, so uh, that, that typically does get compromised at the moment. It's not in a bad position, probably around six or seven. But if it goes beneath that, that's when I need to look at introducing uh, things like a, a diet break to essentially make things more manageable and buy me more time within this calorie deficit. Um, because longer in a calorie deficit, the leaner you get and the lower your calories will naturally become the more these KPIs are going to go south. So I'll find that just introducing a one-day diet break, I take my calories up to maintenance, is usually enough um, to kind of keep me going for a little bit of time. But it will get to a point where those one days won't even scratch the surface. So I'll have to extend that to two to three. And then there will come a point where I'll have to run full diet breaks for a week. So think of a diet break just like a deload or taper with your training. You can't put your foot in the gas with training week in, week out, every single week of the year. You're going to burn out and you're going to basically just fail and crash. You know, uh, Same with your diet. So you can't 
necessarily be in a calorie deficit for the whole course of the year or six months or whenever based on your body fat levels and calorie intake there is going to be a point where you're just going to have to have a little bit of a break from this because that um those kpis are just going to run too far south and that's where you're going to see too many compromises which are going to affect the overall adherence and ultimately you're going to have a fuck it moment and you're just going to have unplanned eating you lose momentum there's a lot of guilt associated with that and you feel like you're back in square one um, so I'd much rather be proactive with it, monitor my KPIs exactly as I do with my athletes, measure the trends over time. And if we need to put in diet breaks to help us better manage the KPIs to, you know, really support them and protect them as best as possible, then that's when we do so. So it might be one day, two days, three days. We might just push it out to a full week. It completely depends. We're just playing what's in front of us. So ultimately, when we think of all that, measure your monitor your kpis uh for example again if my bike fitness or bike performance drops off because i literally have no carbohydrates in the muscle then it's like right let's put a little bit of a a, a little bit of a carbohydrate refeed in it uh, just calorie maintenance and again with refeeds i've done a podcast episode on this before but it's you're not going like a thousand calorie surplus or anything like that you're just going to maintenance now you just put an amount of carbohydrates in it, take it a maintenance to reverse some of those negative feedback marks that you are experiencing. Um, and then obviously with the weight uh, component as well, as I covered in a dedication to education Wednesday, a couple of weeks ago, um, to best protect muscle mass during, in a calorie deficit. Um, we do not want to be starting with high training load and dropping training load because ultimately if you don't use it, you'll lose it. So what that kind of research I uh, examined, um, it basically showed that the best, best practice for this is to start kind of lower to moderate and then build up the intensity over the course of the weeks. Uh, because obviously weight training is a very anabolic stimulus. A calorie deficit is a very catabolic stimulus. Um, so what we want to do is make sure we do not drop your weight, drop weight training stimulus because you remove that anabolic stimulus there you know um and ultimately that's why a lot of individuals will drop muscle mass in a dieting phase because they're too tired they're too fatigued they don't have enough energy to get through the weight training sessions then they have to adapt the training the train intensity drops there's no stimulus and that's when you lose muscle so it's like right how can i stay in a calorie deficit make sure i fuel as well as possible to provide enough energy to lift the necessary load to stimulate anabolism so that is the goal. So if I need to put in more carbohydrates um, in like a refeed to help maintain performance, then I will definitely do that. Obviously, I will periodize my week um, as best as possible uh, with regards to fueling for the work required. But there will be a point where, you know, I will just need that because when you are in a when you're in a calorie deficit, you you're usually in a relative energy deficit every single day however big the deficit you want to be, whether it's 10%, 15%, 20% calorie deficit, 20% being quite aggressive, but fit for athletes anyway. So around 10 to 15%, you're going to do 15 to 10 to 15% every single day, uh, you know, and then over time, because that you're on a small deficit, you know, glycogen stores will naturally just, uh, just slowly deplete, you know? So something to be very mindful of that. So in, in terms of my training, um, I'm basically doing three to four turbo trainer sessions per week. So I've hooked up my old mountain bike, um, which is basically broke, has a big crack in the frame. Um, 
I basically hooked that up to a sort of indoor trainer called Wahoo Kicker, which is absolutely awesome. Uh, so I've replaced the Watt bike uh, and the traveling to the gym just to use Watt bike. And I put it on the, the turbo, which is absolutely awesome. Um, I do three weight sessions per week. Um, so I do one upper, one lower, and then full body. I'm alternating between accumulation phases and intensification phases. So accumulation phase, I'm pushing volume, uh, intensification, uh, I'm pushing more intensity. So the weight, um, so I'll just alter between the two of them. So when I feel like I'm coming to a little bit of a plateau with each phase and I've milked it as much as I can, that's when I'll swap it over usually on each phase for six to eight weeks little bit of a taper, a little bit of a deload, and then into the next phase. And then mountain biking, one to two days a week, depending on schedule. Uh, I If I'm out and about with uh, clubs, um, obviously it's very time demanding. It's uh, a lot of travel associated with it. So um, sometimes I just get a little bit squeezed for time. So I'll always get or try my very best to go one mountain bike session per week. Uh, if I can, I'll push that up to two. So ultimately I'm doing about... 10 to 12 hours of training per week and then steps uh averaging 10,000 a day 70k per week i'm doing the steps side of things to because we know that in an energy deficit your body's going to slow down a little bit just to preserve energy so this metabolic adaptation so it's like energy conservation um so i'm trying to offset that by just trying to keep my steps up so think for yourself, if you've been in a little bit of an energy deficit before, you put in a hard training session, you go home, you're lying in the, on the sofa, you're like, I'm absolutely goose tail, like I, I can't do anything. So you may have burnt, I don't know, 800, 1,000 calories in that session, but if you're on the sofa for the next sort of five hours and end up burning, I don't know, 50 calories per hour less, which by means is not much, but if you do that over the course of half the day, that's going to add up. So the deficit you think you are in, it sometimes becomes wiped out because you are a sloth on a sofa. So this is definitely me, uh, especially if I'm doing double days. I uh, bike session in the morning, waits at night, my SNC session. I need to get out. I need to move um, just to offset that because I know that, um, yeah, I, I'm pretty much going to be dormant uh, for, for the next, for, for the rest of the day. There. So in terms of that side of stuff because you've got a fair bit of um, training to get through and that might be away one or two days per week. Some of my days are going to be um, double days. And the way I typically will do this is kind of like a concurrent approach. So I'll do my bike sessions in the morning and my strength and conditioning sessions in the evening. So you may have seen on uh, Insta, I've talked about this kind of training with the bike and the low carbohydrate availability to enhance the endurance adaptation. Uh, so again, I did a dedication education Wednesday on this. It's a theoretical model of um, sort of doing your bike session first thing in the morning in a fasted state and a low carbohydrate availability, withholding carbohydrates for a few hours and then putting in carbohydrates uh, into the evening then to best fuel uh, your SNC sessions. So this is a bit of a theoretical model, but we know that um, your endurance adaptation is heightened under low carbohydrate availability. So when the glycogen stores with the muscle hit a kind of critical point, you get enhanced um, adaptation. So what happens is when your carbohydrates in the muscle hit a certain level, 
um, the energy sensor of the cell known as AMPK, that switches on. Um, it then creates, uh, or should we say, signals for more mitochondria to be created. Mitochondria is where we um, oxidize, utilize uh, fat for fuel, and therefore we spare carbohydrates. So the idea is, is training under low carbohydrate availability, enhance this adaptation, have more mitochondria, and therefore we are less reliant on carbohydrates for fuel and therefore the carbohydrate levels do not deplete when you're say racing or stuff like that uh, when you put a lot in and therefore you spare carbohydrates and you still have enough carbohydrates at the end of the race to kind of put your foot down uh, put your foot on the gas and perform incredibly well so um, that is essentially what I'm doing at the moment and personally like I am a bit of a carb machine uh, I will just burn through carbs really, really quickly. And I don't particularly think I, and again, when I say I think I've not measured anything, there's no laboratory kind of experiments going on here with myself. Um, but I just know that I get depleted very, very quickly and I need a lot of carbohydrates to support my performances, especially on the mountain bike. Um, and if I don't, I just fall off the face of a cliff and I'm very depleted after and the, and the next day. Uh, so essentially idea of this type of session is to build a little bit more mitochondria so I don't put myself in too much of a carbohydrate hole on the bike. So, and then uh, the strength and condition side of things, generate and development of strength and specifically muscle mass is uh, enhanced under high energy, high carbohydrate availability. So we're kind of going from a period of low carbohydrate availability in the morning and low energy availability in the morning to enhance the endurance adaptation and then we're going high carbohydrate, high energy availability to enhance the muscle uh, hypertrophic adaptation in the evening. And again, this is a very much a theoretical model. It's some nice research kind of put out there a little while ago, and I've been uh, playing around with this. Um, have I seen results from it? Yes, 100%. Uh, but this is uh, hard to differentiate how, to what extent it's actually benefited me because I've started this in January and uh, I started my sort of bike program in January as well. And I'm pretty much a newbie and novice to structured bike training. So I might just get a newbie gain. So I'm just sitting on the bike and doing more bike work. Like my FTP is up, about, I think it's about 30 odd or something in the space of like the first training block, which is cool. Would I have done that if I just ate carbohydrates before? Um, I just felt like more of a, a linear, more of a normal approach. I don't know, hard to say, but what I will say is that uh, we need to make sure our nutrition complements and not complicates our life. And I don't particularly have a huge appetite in the morning, but I'm pretty ravenous in the evening. So for me, it's very easy to withhold carbohydrates in the morning and for a few hours after that session to really enhance the adaptation, have a good lunch and basically put in most of my food back end of the day. So from a personal preference and food focus perspective, it works really, really well. Uh, for me. So if uh, my appetite was the other way around and I was ravenous in the morning and not really that hungry in the evening, I probably wouldn't run the approach. But since it was in line with my eating habits and behaviors, um, I was like, yeah, might as well run it. Uh, and if I do get superior adaptations, then so be it. Very cool. But if I don't, then at least it supports my day-to-day -day life and day-to-day -day eating. Um, so during the bike sessions on the indoor trainer, 
um, and literally just having water, electrolytes, not putting any carbohydrates in there because I wouldn't be depleting glycogen stores uh, to the extent that I need to if I was putting in carbohydrates. So that would be somewhat futile. Um, but then for mountain biking, I'm still full performance mode. Uh, I'm putting carbohydrates uh, in the in the <laughs> plentiful. You've seen the squares, the Haribo, the gels, the beta fuels, all that kind of stuff. So even though for the bike uh, sessions indoors, my performance will be compromised because I'm doing it under low carbohydrate variability, but that isn't the point. My idea is just to get through the session and enhance adaptations so I can perform better later. Uh, but then when I'm on the mountain bike, the whole idea is just to perform, put carbohydrates in there. And like I said, I'm a bit of a carb machine. So by default, even if I'm putting 60 grams, 90 grams of carbs per hour, my glycogen source, my quads are pretty depleted at the end of the ride. So I'm still getting decent adaptations despite supporting performance by eating a lot, um, if, if that makes sense at all. Um, so from a nutrition side of things, like at the moment, what, what calories am I on? So I, to the leanest, um, I've kind of been, like you've seen the pictures on social media, uh, and it's kind of like pretty pretty shredded when I uh, was definitely operating under low energy availability uh, and a lot of compromises in the shit zone there. But my whole objective there was just to see how lean I can get, um, more of a, a trial and as, a, as an experiment. Uh, so at 68 kilos there, I'm 5'10". Um, over the kind of last uh, two years, built back up nice slowly progressively to about 78, 79 kilos. Body fat gain happened, but obviously a lot of muscle with that as well. And I was starting to pull body fat back down. And I'm currently, as we kind of recording this, uh, fluctuating between 73.5, 74. Um, and most likely for the shoot, I'm going to be probably like 72 or something like that. Um, but then obviously not going to be as lean, but still going to be pretty lean, but obviously with... Uh, a lot more muscle and uh, performance definitely in a, in a really good place. So in terms of my calories at the moment, uh, baseline is 2000 per day. Uh, my strength and conditioning, I'm putting in 200 calories extra, so 2200 calories. Uh, if I was in full performance phase, um, the, the difference between a baseline rest day versus a single SNC session would be better. It might be 2000, 2400 or something like that. It might be about a 400 calorie difference. Um, but I'd rather take calories away from an SNC day, um, so I could give put it a little bit more on my baseline. Because if I drop below eight, drop below two thousand calories, I 1,800 calories, uh, I will I will struggle quite a bit from a food focus perspective. So single day on twenty two hundred calories for SNC for me uh, works really really well. Turbo sessions, what I do here for the bike work as I do an EPAC uh, system. So on the bike at the moment, I do a fifty percent EPAC. So whatever the power meter from the Wahoo kicker says, um, I will put 50% onto that baseline or whatever kind of day I am on. So if I do an hour kind of sweet spot intervals, it'd be maybe 700 calorie expenditure. I will put 350 calories back in. So I'm eating a little bit more food, a little bit more carbohydrate to support performance, but I'm still uh, in a decent deficit uh, from it. So that day would be like, right, baseline plus 50% e-back, so maybe 2,300 calories. But if I'm doing an S&C session, so a double day, it would be like 2,200 calories plus 50% e-back, so it'd end up being like 2,500. So that's the way I can operate it. Then my mountain bike, I'll just use my Garmin for this, and I'll do 75% e-back on that, uh, purely because I don't have a power meter on my bike. And from experience, um, 
the energy expenditure with my Garmin, it is it does seem pretty good. Usually activity trackers, they're pretty terrible. Uh, in terms of accuracy, it could be you know 20% either way, but this does seem to be quite reliable for me. So I put 75% e-back in there. Um, why do I put 75% in the mountain bike and 50% with a turbo? Probably because mountain biking is far more draining and demanding for me. Obviously you've got the upper body kind of working as well. And just from like, um, central fatigue or neuromuscular fatigue, I feel like it's a lot higher on the mountain bike. Uh, so I just need a little bit more food to help support me and get me through that, uh, session and through that day. And it's typically a lot longer as well, maybe three to four hours in duration. Um, so that, and the back end of the day as well is more manageable from a food perspective too. Cause if I'm putting in 90 grams of carbs per hour on the mountain bike, uh, I won't actually have that much calories left at the end of the day to eat actual food. Cause it's all going through, you know, sweets and gels and, uh, Rice Krispie squares, you know? So I like to give myself a little bit more food on that day, but if it means I have to run the rest of the week a little bit lower to allocate more food on that day, then, uh, yeah, so, so be it. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of like, I guess the whole periodization of my week, it depends on this whole periodized life model that I work on. And again, I've done a podcast on this kind of outlining it. Uh, I believe it's in like season one or season two, I think. Um, basically just thinking of your life as a, as a cup, right? We can only put so much fluid, so much water, so much life in a cup before it overflows. So if my sleep is being taxed because I'm up at 4.30 a.m. to get down to wasps, if it means that I've got a big day down with Reading and have to drive five hours back to Leeds, no, there's going to be a lot of fatigue and stuff there. So I'm just making sure that I'm protecting my energy and allocating it where it needs to be so that cup never runs or too high to the top or it overflows. I always try and run maybe... Set, sorry, 80 90 percent kind of full because if something crops in i have that little bit of a, a buffer then so, so it can go up to 100 full without it flowing over if i'm squeezed all the time and i'm really pushing everything and i'm riding that cup at 100 percent and something crops up an extra kind of stressor then yeah i'm pretty fucked i'm gonna burn out especially if i run that all the time so i'm just thinking about my Obviously, my training being periodized, my nutrition being periodized, but my life being periodized as well, and how all of that interacts with each other in like this holistic kind of manner, uh, so I can get the best out of both. And therefore, I can do this for a long period of time. So I'm ultra consistent. Um, so you're going to see loads of athletes, maybe even yourself, you do something great for four weeks and you burn out or you get ill, you get injured, something like that. Then you then it takes you three, two to three weeks to recover, get back to baseline. And then you do exactly the same thing and you never find that consistency. So periodizing your life is probably one of the biggest things that I've introduced into my life over the last few few years. That's been absolutely um, incredible just so I can manage my energy, protect my energy, and therefore I can serve people better. So the athletes that I work with, whether it's in clubs or whether it's on my athlete coaching program, so nobody wants to, so the last thing I want to do is turn up on uh, a coaching call or down with a club or just interacting with the clients and being completely miserable, completely run down. They're going to think I'm a complete asshole. Like, what's he doing? I don't work with this bloke. So I need to make sure that I'm in a good position. So mentally and physically, so I can give my best. So serve myself first, so I can serve others better. So really focus on protecting my energy and this whole 
periodized uh, life. So in terms of uh, my nutrition non-negotiables, there's nothing fancy here. The most fancy thing I do is probably that um, concurrent uh, approach of withholding carbohydrates on certain days of the week. Apart from that, it is these world-class basics. So one, I always make sure I plan 48 hours in advance for everything. I'll pretty much map out my whole week um, by Friday before I kind of clock off for the weekend, making sure everything is locked in, all my objectives for the week, whether that's training, nutrition, um, work, travel, booking hotels, whatever ends up being, I make sure all that is locked in. Um, granted, I'm a little bit OCD with my schedule. Like if you look at my Google calendar, it is a... Uh, it looks beautiful how color-coded it is. Um, it probably freaks some people out in terms of how uh, how it looks, but for me, it definitely works. So for me, I need to make sure I am planning so I, make, so I can get everything done. Um, I think a lot of, well, a couple of people asked me, uh, I'll say a couple of people at least, um, asked me like, how do you get everything done? How do you do your content creation? How do you serve your clients? How do you get down to clubs? How do you have time for the mountain bike? How do you have social life? How do you see family? It's like, I'm... A master planner. I just plan like fuck all the time to make sure nothing is a surprise. So everything is mapped out. So I'm recording this on 17th of March. I've got a busy kind of end of this month and really busy next month doing the budget divide routes and Dubai and everything. I've mapped out pretty much every single day until the start of uh yes, the start of May basically. So it's next six weeks, everything's locked in every hour. Like it's again, probably a little bit OCD, but I make sure that I do that so I can get everything done. Granted, I'm malleable with that. I will change my schedule based on things that happen. So I always have to play what's in front of me, but I have that structure. I have that routine. I know exactly what's happening so I can best protect my energy and I can get everything in. So I do long-term planning with that, but for my food, I'll plan always 48 hours in advance. I have a good idea of what my, my food's going to look like uh, across the across the week. But essentially, I will basically just prep food 48 hours. Um, so Monday, Tuesday, those meals are all prepped. Wednesday, Thursday, they're all prepped uh, and so on. So I do a lot of rollover meals, whatever I cooked the night before, I double batch a portion, have the food the next day. Um, so I do that a lot of times throughout the weeks. Sometimes I will batch cook if I'm going to be really squeezed for time that week. If i got a little bit of time, say 20, 30 minutes to cook, um, I'll do basically just a lot of stir fries. Uh, so in this case, I will just pay for efficiency. So I'll go to wherever, Mazda, Morrison's, Asga, Tesco, M&S, Waitrose, wherever, and just get stir-fry kind of kits. Going to get about 300 grams worth of vegetables in there in a kit. Going to get some noodles or microwave rice, and I'm going to get um, about 150, 200 grams of uh, a lean protein or fish in that as well. And I'll just do that. It's all cut up, all prepped, super efficient. Um but obviously you then you pay for the efficiency. It's not the cheapest route. It's not the most expensive one, but you're, you're paying for efficiency there. So I'll use a multitude of approaches in terms of the types of meals I have, um, but I'll make sure that is all planned in, in advance of what approach I am taking uh, based on the schedule I have. I'll always make sure I got fortified protein hits within the day uh, to make sure I'm stimulating muscle protein synthesis, minimum of 30 grams of protein per meal um, to make sure I hit that threshold. Um, in terms of overall protein intake for the day, I don't really look at it too much. It's around two grams per kilo of high quality protein. Um, but then with the carbohydrates you put in there, you're going to get a lot of like 
protein sources with a low essential amino acid content and um, they're not really going to do anything for muscle protein synthesis. So I just make sure I get about two grams per kilogram of high quality protein, about 30 grams per meal. If I end up going over, then it doesn't matter. There's no, there's no negatives to it other than the fact that it perhaps displaces some fat or carbohydrate calories, but make sure I get four to five protein hits a day. Um, you probably would have guessed I love carbohydrates, so I'm going to follow a low carb high. So I whoa, whoa, a low fat, high carb approach. So I'll typically have about 50 grams of fat in my diet, about 0.75 grams per kilo. I'll typically, with athletes I work with, depends on their body size and stuff, operate between 0.51 gram per kilo. With me, I find 0.75 gram kind of works quite well. And then I'll just allocate the rest of the calories for that day to carbohydrates. Um, and then I just make sure that at least 90% of my food is come from high quality sources. And uh, I'm getting about eight to 10 portions of fruit and veg in per day. Um, and then ultimately the biggest thing uh, is make sure I'm tracking my food accurately and honestly. I'm not bullshitting myself. I'm not justifying anything. Um, these are the guidelines I've set myself. And again, I have to do what I said I was going to do. Um, you know, it's, it'd be very easy, like, because I monitor my nutrition myself. It'd be very easy to say like, oh, I need an extra 200 calories today because I slept one hour less and that session was a little bit harder. I did one more rep than last week. Uh, two weeks last Tuesday, I uh, I underate, so I need more calories today. And, you know, you can easily bullshit and justify it. So um, make sure just you track food accurately, honestly. And I, I'll use my fitness pal. Um, I don't need to track my food on my fitness pal i know what 2000 calories looks like two and a half three thousand i've done it long enough but i i love data i'm very data driven so i will just track my food all the time it's a it's a habit for me it's um it's not a it's not laborious i like doing it so for me it complements and not complicates my life and i just make sure uh everything's tracked everything's monitored measured um and i know there's definitely a few spreadsheets that that uh, go along with that to measure sort of longer term changes and, and stuff but in terms of like the daily non-negotiables with nutrition a lot of people think like elite athletes they like fly a rocket ship and everything is super tech like nasa level of tech where it really isn't it's just again it's world-class basics is it's just been unbelievably consistent with getting enough calories in to support the trend demand for that day or for your goal-specific outcome, whether that's dropping body fat, building muscle, maintenance, and so on. Fortified protein hits a day, going low carb. So well, I said it again, low fat, high carb, food quality in a good place, eight to 10 portions of fruit and veggies per day, variety of uh, colors to minimize nutrient deficiencies. And then ultimately you're tracking it. You do that for a long time, you're going to get results. Uh, assuming the numbers you're working with, and are correct and your environment and the support group you are in within supports that like there's you, you'd be flying there's no reason why you can't get results i think a lot of people i know i definitely used to overcomplicate everything but it's not complicating it at all it's 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 not hard once you understand the principles and again you have that environment and a support network there and someone to hold you accountable like it's not hard um and again, it's easy for me to say because I do it day to day. I've done it for a very long time. I try. I've coached like hundreds, hundreds of athletes now, um, and through like teaching them like the the basics, the foundation, the principles of high performance eating habits, like they'll pretty much say exactly the same. Once you know how to do it, and everything supports that, 
it's it's easy. It's just monitoring then, monitoring those KPIs, making those fine tunes, those adjustments based on based on what's what's going on essentially. And then uh, lastly, supplements. What, what what do I take? Um, coming out of winter now, hopefully, and today was actually quite sunny, so hopefully spring is on its way. Um, currently supplement with vitamin D, just one thousand IU per day, and I've done that over the winter months, uh, autumn to spring, because it's a lack of sun exposure. And if there was sunny, it's still going to be pretty cold outside, and you're still going to be wearing layers, and there's going to be no real skin exposure. And plus, the UVB rays in the winter months. Uh, are not quite as strong, so you're not going to get that same dose. So uh, still vitamin D throughout the winter months, and I probably will stop taking it uh, over the next couple of weeks now as the sun starts to uh, show, and I will be outdoors a lot more on the mountain bike and uh, doing steps and so on, so I should get enough vitamin D there. Omega-3s, I'll make sure I get at least one gram of EPA, DHA combined uh, per day on average. Um, I don't particularly eat too much oily fish, um during real time to have salmon is when i'm done with wasps um because that's usually a fish option down there uh for lunch so i typically just have that um most of the time i'll just eat like meat and, and stuff like that but so i don't really get enough uh, omega-3s in my diet so i will supplement with that um i typically will use a barocca which is a multivitamin Probably there's no real need for me to take that because I'm getting eight to 10 portions of fruit and veg per day without fail as my non-negotiable and a lot of high quality foods um, elsewhere. So it's more just case of like a nutrition insurance policy. Um, and plus I really like the taste of it. So I've kept it in. Um, and then you're going to go your standard whey protein. Um, I don't typically have like whey protein shake after gym session. I might as well, I'd much rather just have like a meal and get a protein hit there. The reason why I have whey protein is uh, to have after my morning bike session. So I obviously want to withhold carbohydrates, but I still need to get a protein hit there. It's 150 calories, something like that. So still, I'm still going to be under low energy availability in that time point. Um, but I'm still having enough protein to support the muscle and the adaptation side of things there. Um, and then from like a, a performance side of it, um, two simple ones, creating beta alanine, um, just to help with the repeatability in my performance, especially when carbohydrates are perhaps slightly restricted because I'm in an energy deficit. By default, they're going to be a little bit lower. Uh, so that just helps kind of perhaps fill in the gaps a little bit better. And then the last one is probiotic. Um, and typically we'll just use uh or just have like kefir in my in my diet. Went and did a little bit of an experimental trial trying to grow my own, which ended up absolutely terrible. It tastes like shit and I didn't want to do it. And there's weirdly too much work involved, even though it really isn't in hindsight. Uh so I just buy it. It's not overly not overly cheap, but it tastes nice and I, I quite like having it into my uh in my diet. So from like a gut health perspective and therefore uh by default an immune um perspective as well so this um yeah I, I pretty much covered everything there so hopefully you perhaps would have got some ideas some insights of what i'm up to what i'm doing like like mentioned at the start like i'm not an elite level athlete in this in the slightest um like so 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 far away from it but i'm putting everything in practice myself in terms of all the training periodization through coaches, apps, all the nutrition periodization, the life periodization, 
everything that I advocate to my sub elite and elite level clients, I am doing myself. So I'm you know, walking and walking, talking and talk. I'm doing what I said I'm going to do. And I'm trying to lead by example to the best of my ability. Um, and within that, I get, yeah, a lot of satisfaction. It's, uh, it's a lot of good fun. Uh, I absolutely love doing the the process. Like I absolutely love the science about of everything. Love reading about it. That's why I do dedication to education Wednesdays um, to read up on a new topic and a new research paper and see what's happening uh, in sort of academia. And then I like applying it to myself so I can you know work through this mechanistically. Like what's actually happening when I have this food, when I'm depleted to this extent. If I have this carbohydrate now, what will happen? Um, so I actually love all that and I love applying it uh, to myself to have that kind of um, first level kind of feel of the immediate or yeah, immediate or zero impact on performance, life, health, and uh, and so on. So hope that was helpful, guys. Um, any questions, queries, anything like that off the back of it, um, please let me know. Just drop me, yeah, best place to get hold of me is Insta DMs. And um, yeah, guys, have a fantastic uh, day and week ahead. And uh, thank you again for tuning into the podcast. I really appreciate and value your time. So until next time, um, goodbye.